Hello everyone. So, welcome, good evening, good night. Welcome to episode 36 of Teh Tarik with Walid. So, today we are fortunate I think and we are blessed uh, to have one of the legends in the history of Singapore politics, you know, the of civil society and you know, define po- politics more broadly instead of just electoral politics, right? Because people think of politics as just the arena of partisan politics when actually it's much more than that. Uh, hi everyone, so uh, Professor Yaakob is here, thank you so much. So I am delighted to say that we have a legendary figure, uh, Constance Singham, and she recently uh, released, well, Ethos uh, approached me to ask whether I wanted to have this session with her, Waylin from Ethos. And it's like, you know, the Malay saying, a person who's sleepy, you give, a, you offer a pillow to that person. Of course, of course, I want to have a session with Constance Singham. Who doesn't, right? So, uh, she, this is an updated version of her memoir. I think the first one was released about 10 years ago. She can correct me if, uh, if I'm wrong. So, and of course, there's been some controversy about her, her book launch. Her book launch did take place uh, on the weekend. But there's some controversy because the initial location cancelled for reasons uh, that are not really understood by by me. At least maybe she can shed some light on it. But basically, Constance has been there, done that. She's she was involved in civil society when being an activist was a dirty word. Maybe it still is, but not so much. I think. I think even you know, uh, PAP uh, grassroots folks they call themselves gra- grassroots activists, right? But back when she was involved, it was really not an easy thing to do. So I am absolutely delighted to have her today. So let me just send a request to her, and hopefully it works. She was trying out in the afternoon. Yeah. So Waylin uh, told me that uh, Constance was feeling a bit nervous. I said, huh? Even Constance is nervous at something. Oh, hey, hello. <laughs> yes. Hello. Hi. Till, hi. Oh, I, till, I can only... Till I, yeah. till I feel I was nervous. This is the first time I'm happy. <laughs> nice. Nice to know. You are still human. Okay. So you still have those feelings. Yeah. So so congratulations on this. Thank you. And thank, I, you. I, I, thank you so much for being here. You know, so uh, however the conversation goes today, and I think maybe there'll be some... Uh, disagreements or whatever it is but from the outset i wanted to really register my thanks for everything that you've done uh for for singapore for civil society because i think uh right now you know it's almost sexy to call yourself an activist right and you uh, you see people you know right now uh, especially for people like myself oh you know you we, it's we we wear that label you know some of us at least quite proudly but back then it was really hard it was really it was really brave. Like now it's not that brave anymore, right? Now with social media, you see other people doing it, you know, so you're emboldened as well, right? But at that point in time, there was no such thing. So heads off to you and thank you for everything that you've done. And you really paved the way for, uh, for th- other th- people. Th- thank you. No, 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 no. It was my, I mean, it, it, I, I learned a lot by being an activist and, uh, and I think right. along with Singaporeans, I too grew um, in understanding what politics is all about um, and understanding public policies and understanding history, learning how to look at different perspectives. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to have 
to have contributed because I am a very proud Singapore citizen. Right. Thank and you I so feel much. that citizens have to be active. Right. Okay. Thank you so much. And I was reading this book, you know, so I just got it yesterday. So I tried to read as much as I could. Uh, and it's a, it's a very easy read. And when, when it's an easy read, I know a lot of difficult writing went into it, right? Uh, so uh, thank you so much. And you, you discuss so many things like gender, race, civil society, you know, you even uh, took shots at the government, I suppose, for, you know, draconian being a draconian and, and so on. So it covered everything, right? So, so maybe the first question is really a, a softball or uh, it's a rhetorical question, I suppose. So what was so controversial about this that it had to be cancelled? Uh, by the way, I'm thankful no one cancelled this session. <laughs> but why did, why did the organisers had to cancel the, uh, the book launch? Well, it, it is a bit of a su surprise because 10 years ago, it was launched at the Arts House oh. without any problems. Yeah. Oh. And uh, yes, in the parliament itself, you know. Yeah. Uh, and um, so when this came out now, I can only speculate that over the last 10 years, the management has changed. Uh, the people making the decisions have changed. They have been, they have gone through longer conditioning and worrying about what the bosses would want them to do. Mm. And so I, I think it's just a few individuals. But then, of course, they're all functioning in a culture um, as we are. Yeah. outside of it but the, those who are inside working in common institutions have to worry about their jobs about what the bosses want them to do and it's always trying to guess what do what the bosses want to do right and as you said in your introduction my book deals with everything yeah. <laughs> and uh, civil society, feminism, activism, public policies, that's enough to freak anybody out. Or <laughs> <laughs> excite, <all> excite people, <laughs> yes, Depend, that's depending right. on who you ask. So, so it's interesting, right? So 10 years ago, so the same institution allowed it. So has, what does that tell us about the space for contestations in this Precisely. Right. That is what is worrying, you know. Uh, have they become more rigid? Mm. You know, and um, so who are the people who are making decisions in Arts House now? Of course, we cannot, I know NAC said they have no problems, but NAC have to take some of the responsibilities for creating a culture that people can't, work independently or intelligently, uh, read the book and see why it was 10 years ago, it went through and it's all over the libraries in the National Library. And why did it freak them out now? Mm. It's something that's, that's a question that worries me. And it should worry civil society activists and it should worry the state. Right, right. Yeah. So I mean, I was when when I first heard of it, then you know, I was just, oh, oh my God. Like, and you know, the worry is also right. If this can happen to Constant Singer, it can happen, <laughs> it can happen to anyone, right? I mean, as far as activists go, I mean, 
you sort of already have a reputation, you know, in in your age. So you are pretty much untouchable already, right? <laughs> or so I thought, right? <laughs> yes. So when when I saw it happen to you, right, I was thinking, oh my god, it could happen to people who are more plebeians uh, than than, than old, yourself, right? And old and aging and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> old but healthy and still sharp. So. So that's all that matters, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so uh, uh, thank you, thank you for that. Uh, I think it's very insightful. So when I was looking for, uh, when I was reading this, right, it's not just about personal stories, right? Because personal stories ultimately are really personal. But your personal stories, I always felt there was something I could extract from it. And and you you did it purposely as well, right? When you're telling these stories, there's always a broader broader national agenda that you want to relate it to, right? And I think this. This cancellation is also is a personal story that is political, right? You know, the personal is political. Personal this, is political. Yeah, yeah. yeah this mm-hmm. this personal story is super political. Yeah. So so let's uh, let's discuss that, right? Because the uh, the book was really a story about activism as much as anything else, right? So, do you think today that because you've seen you've been in the activist scene for a very long time, you've seen maybe transformations or evolutions and would you say that one of the criticisms that people always uh, direct towards activists today is you know the champagne liberals right you know you guys are western educated this liberal elite that, and you guys are speaking language uh, languages that people do not understand right i don't mean english right i mean the vocabulary the Vocab- phrasing yeah, yeah yeah and and when in the past, the activists, you know, and we think about the 1960s, which you reference as well, right? So I listened to your, your podcast with uh, PJ as well as your book launch. And, and you reference the, you reference Cold Store uh, and you reference uh, other things as well. But activists at that point in time were working class, Chinese educated, right? So more of uh, people of the people, right? So uh, do you think that is a weakness of activism today? And do you think it, if affects how activists are viewed? Well, I have to go back to the 1950s and 1960s. That's uh, working class, Chinese educated, it's only part of the story, Mm. you know, because uh, as you well know, that uh, a lot of the PAP members were English educated. Right. Yeah, the first cabinet, most of them were English educated and they came from civil society. And all those people who are interned, like James Puducherry, Woodhull, all those people were English educated as well. Right, right, right. right so, right. and then too that uh, the women's charter, the leaders who campaigned uh, against polygamy were English educated. The leadership was English educated. Right, right. So, there, there is that two, two histories. Right. That of course the Chinese educated, the Chinese um, middle school students were more active politically. They were politicized much earlier than the English educated, um, and they were also anti-British. And right. um, so we have two two histories, which is what I learned in um, when I was researching for for the book ten years ago that there are different stories, you know? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. and to, you can't call us monolithic, you know, even if we are English educated. By the way, the, it wasn't the civil society activists 
who went west. It was Singapore State which went west. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's interesting, right? Because the Singapore State tries to be western, but at the same time, not you know defines itself. So it's sort of in a very Confusing. Yeah, yeah. Confusing <laughs> and confused, peculiar position. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so you're right. You're right. So, so do you think that maybe activists today speak? Uh, so I, I accept that that it's not it's not a monolith. But do you think it's a weakness on the part of activists, maybe younger ones especially, maybe not not your generation and those who have been there done that, but younger ones who maybe the younger are very ones. Keen, I uh, mean, the the younger ones. Um, more English educated, they went through right, the English right. educational system. And, uh, and something else, and that's got to do with everything that we do, publications, book publishing, everything is West dominated. Right. So the information about feminism, history of feminism, history of nationalism, history of racism, all that comes from the West. Because Asians, and that's our fault, we have not publicized our own histories. And right. I have written about feminism and feminists. They may not have called themselves feminists, but there were lots of activities about promoting women's uh, rights throughout Japan and China and India and uh, Iran. And so we have stories of those women. Right. But we know about the Western stories. Right. You know, and that is not the women's fault, not the feminist's fault. Right. Which right, is right. not, so, yeah. So, but that would be a weakness, I suppose, or something that can be improved on? Oh, right. yes, certainly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's not only in relation to feminism or... Yeah, yeah, history. absolutely. It's yeah, in relation yeah. to all the yeah, history, yeah, social, cultural, civilizational, India, Pakistan... Uh, Indonesia, China, Japan, we don't know much about. Right, right. And that is not the, our fault, the individual's fault, you know. Right, yeah. right. Okay. So, yeah, so on, uh, in a similar vein, right, so one of the things that I find also sometimes, because people who are in the activist scene, they are very passionate, for sure. There's a selection bias, right? Uh, and... There's, they, they also tend to be very often very familiar with the Western literature, the American ones, especially what's going on in the West. And uh, sometimes you see some, some condescension on the part of some activists, right? And then they will say, they'll say, oh, you should go educate yourself more, you know? <laughs> so, uh, do you think these things are, you know, oh, I don't need to go through the emotional labor of explaining this to you. You should understand this by yourself. Do you think when we do that, right, no matter how well-intentioned... Do you that, know of any, do you know of any instances when this happened? Oh, yeah, I see it a, a lot. Uh, <laughs> I see it a lot <laughs> online. <do>. <laughs> 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 I've seen this right. a lot uh, online, and even even you know when I was uh, involved, you know, in the race, uh, in the race debate, right, the Chinese privilege and so on. I saw people on my side, uh, so people who actually agreed with me were some of them were saying such things, right? Like say, oh, I don't need to go through the labor of explaining the minority experience to you, to you, the Chinese person. And then yeah. I was thinking, but if we don't explain it, how would they ever Won't know? they know, yes. <laughs> yeah, <Right>. so, <laughs> so it was a bit strange to me. Uh, so, so do you think this is not a, a common phenomenon? Or you think this is isolated? Or? 
Well, that happened uh, certainly during the debate and discussions on race. It happened, and uh, feminism is an ongoing problem because a lot of people, <laughs> individuals in patriarchy, especially, <laughs> <laughs> have difficulty understanding. <laughs> they have difficulty understanding patriarchy as an ideology that is not an attack on. The individual, 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 but it's yeah. a culture, and uh, we we are all trapped in some kind of culture or something that we are not consciously aware of. But we have to make ourselves consciously aware of, which is what feminists do, you know, to understand their situation. Uh, we have a failure in our civic education. There is hardly any civic education in the schools, mm -hmm. so we don't really understand any of our institutions. You know, there isn't that uh, education in schools, civic education, for people to understand. I mean, ten years ago, people were asking me what is civil society. I mean, that wow. is very basic, you know, wow. and kids should know. Should be taught what the state is, what the government is, what the parliamentary right. system is, what the legal system is, what civil society is. But we don't. Right. We have failed our young people that way. Yeah. Our education system has failed our young right. people. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I I think you are right. You know. So there's this lack of even sometimes on basic things, right? You know, I uh, uh, when I was. Uh, Talking to some people about the the COP the the proceedings, mm. yeah, and mm. some some people were confusing that with a judicial process, for instance, right? Uh, and I think it's just because they don't know like basic stuff, like you said, like how the well, parliament works. Well, the... I'm not surprised they confused it with the judicial <laughs> process. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough, okay. fair enough. Yeah, but yeah. even even that aside, right? I mean, you see that there's what you said is absolutely true. Sometimes some basic things, right? And yeah. and mm. do you think that's do you think that's on purpose or that's uh, accidental? <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever the state does is, I hope they are doing things on purpose, whether it's for good or for misleading. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I'm afraid so, um, and um, even even uh, I think the state should understand that it's not doing them any favors either. You know um, that civic education is very important, um, and even what we call national educations. Even the students know that is propaganda. The students <laughs> will tell you that. The students will tell you that it's propaganda. <laughs> so we are all become very cynical. The state is cynical, and the students are cynical. We are all cynical about what is being told to us and what is being taught in terms of civic education in schools. Right. So. Uh... I, I accept that. I think there is that level of cynicism. Then, 
But why does the PAP do so well in the elections, right? So surely it's more than just the. I cynicism, haven't right? mentioned the PAP in all the time <laughs> I've been talking to you. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh, you know, so one of the things that I really like uh, about your book launch was you say, you know, we, we need to expand our idea of the political, like, like Singaporeans always think of politics in, and I really, yeah. that really resonated party with politics, me. So, party politics, party politics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, People yeah. think about it, so they don't want to say, oh, this is non-political. Are you talking yeah. about everything? Is, everything is, is political. Is, yeah, everything <laughs> is political. So, and this show is uh, un- uh, unashamedly, unabashedly political. <laughs> political. <laughs> so yeah, so why why does the PAP succeed? So surely it's more, because I saw this exchange you had with PJ Tam and I think you guys disagreed on this, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember till, the, till 1987, I was a great supporter of the PAP. Right. 1987 was wow. when the Marxist conspiracy... Oh. So that's when you, you turned. <laughs> turned. <laughs> because they were my friends. Right. And for the first from, time... From the church? They were from the well, church? yeah. Also oh, colleagues and they were helping me at right. the way and all that. You know, and I knew that there was something misleading happening. That we, are not, we were not being told the truth. And um, I started questioning everything. Before that, Costo happened, oh, well, maybe they're all communists, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, Costo was more justifiable, yeah. I suppose, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yes, yeah, you know. Um, well, yeah, you can believe those, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the communists were taking over the whole of Asia, remember? And, um, yeah, the domino theory. Right, right. Was, the domino, yeah. Was, yeah, was quite, yeah. quite worrying then. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but Marxist conspiracy, Marxism had lost its right. strength, lost it the interest, and then suddenly you come up with Marxist conspiracy, for heaven's sake. And also, anyway, I knew them as individuals. Right. So right. that's when, yeah. Right. That. So. And then, of course, the eugenics theory, graduate mothers scheme, all that, which, which on which uh, pro, uh, uh, the challenge came from AWARE and AWARE was founded then, yeah, with those policies. Right. Mm. Yeah, the, the graduate mother scheme seemed to be such an important moment, right, in, in Singapore's history, right? Because even many within the ruling party expressed their disdain at the policy and within a couple of years, it was sort of, even though the belief didn't really go away, I think, in many quarters, no, I think even you talk to still, many people mm, now. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even ordinary citizens, you see some some semblance of this, right? Uh, and you mm. see that they, they do mm -hmm. believe in this. Yeah, so, but the policy itself, I mean, was, uh, I mean, it was rescinded or overturned uh, a mm -hmm. couple of years into it, right? Because of public pressure. And also the, the PAP actually suffered a dip in the vote share in, uh, in that election in 1984. So, I mean, mm -hmm. elections are... Uh, are still meaningful, right, in Singapore? Oh, yes, they are. Yeah, I yeah. mean, one of, one of the purposes of the book was to show that civil society is important, that, right. uh, do, that the work which is done by civil society has an impact on right. changing attitudes, right. even challenging policies. I mean, nine, uh, 2011 election 
is a very good example. Right. And I show in my book uh, the changes that have happened over the last 30 years um, since the West started, you know, in relation to policies that affect women. And the Women's Charter was completely the work of women campaigning, you right. know, and the banning of poly polygamy. Um, right. So that was the women civil society activism. So we... I want people to read the book and see that it is important for citizens to act, citizens to be part of the discussion and the debate about policies. Yeah, so one of the, one of the differences, I think, between your view of politics and PJ Tam's view of politics based on the conversation you had, I think yours gives me more hope. <laughs> it gives me more hope that, you know if you do things every and ultimately politicians do go for the votes and if elections are meaningful they have to listen to public pressure right and we have actually seen that we have seen that this is not a government that doesn't listen completely because all governments have to listen they have extent, to listen right? yeah. yes they of have course. to yeah 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 yeah. Mm. yeah yeah so uh i just had a comment uh from uh, my friend uh, Sarah, she, she DM'd me and uh, she said she prays that she'll still be as passionate and sharp as as you are. And, and that was but, something I wanted to, I know I didn't, I didn't put this in the question. But she's I mean, still young. Sarah is she's, still young. She is. Yes, yeah, she is. And she's got uh, lots. So, she's but, got a long way to go. <laughs> but but it's, very, it's very hard not to be disillusioned at times, right? Like when when things happen, like when the book launch oh, yes. was cancelled, oh, even yeah, I felt yeah. a bit down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. no, no. So how do you it, keep that going is, then? Until um, oh, there are lots of times you wonder if anything ch has changed. So writing that book was important because you can see, you can trace the history, and you can trace the changes that have right. happened. You know, and uh, so that is important. Uh, although while you're in the middle of doing stuff, you wonder whether it's worthwhile because there's right. so many things against right. you, you know, working against you. And uh, so you do, yes, you do get the solution. You get burnout, you take time off and then go back and do the same thing. And uh, it goes on, you know, so... Yeah. 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 So I think I think that was such an important point because if you look at it moment by moment, you may not see yeah. it, right? It's mm -hmm. only when you look over like ten feet, oh my god, ten years so yes. much has changed. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So right. yeah, I think it's important to take that long term view, right? To to prevent yourself from being disillusioned, right? Mm -hmm. So thank you so much. So many gems here, right? So okay. So uh one final one on civil society. By the way, anyone if you have questions then Please feel free to uh, to type them. Uh, so so you see a lot of people thanking you, Constance, and <laughs> and I, I've had some DMs as well. Like they they say I'm, you are sharper than many people I've had on before. <laughs> <which> is... <laughs> uh, so um, feminism uh, can... does that to you, feminism. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess people wisdom are... also, right? I guess wisdom, like over many years of I mean, one of the things, things in um, my activism has done and my uh, membership and activism in AWARE has done is that you have to keep growing, intellectually growing and intellectually um, challenging yourself 
uh, you can't be an activist and not be better informed. So that's one of the responsibilities right. of activism is to be right. better informed, you know. Right. And I suppose that's why I am the way I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anytime people tell me, how do you keep yourself? I'd say, go and join AWARE. <laughs> <laughs> so that was going to be my question. But, but basically, I, I like that point as well, right? So activists cannot be intellectually lazy, right? If you really want to do the work, then you can. Work, you have to yeah, yeah, be lazy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So that was what I wanted to ask. Uh, so can activists uh, be independent or i mean we know that in singapore you cannot really be completely independent but can you be somewhat ever be somewhat independent like aware was in the 80s because pj asked this question as well and i think i have observed this as well uh, i don't know whether this is fair uh, i wanted to ask you that a lot of civil society organizations may start off as confrontational or uh, in opposition to the government, but over time, the relationship gets chummier. And even, even AWARE perhaps today is working hand in glove more than... Maybe the AWARE today <laughs> is not the same as the well, AWARE. Well, I can't speak. I know, I know I you cannot... speak for Yeah, away. I know you cannot speak for AWARE. <laughs> but I mean, just as an observer. Uh, so maybe not, not AWARE specifically, but as, as an observer. Do you, do you think there is actually space for that kind of activism that we saw? That how you started in the 80s and how AWARE started? Um, the thing is, whenever a new organization comes, uh, uh, starts its work, it's new. It's a new idea in, you know, and everybody is interested. And of course, feminism and women's issues those days. But also, you have to remember when AWARE was founded, for over 15 years, civil society was silenced with the... Mm. With the inter, uh, with um, Coastal, and uh, the government had decided that they want to do all the work for for society. That you don't need civil society to tell them what to do, you know. Right. And um, they only wanted welfare organisations to do the work um, to do the work that needs right. to be done. Yeah. And uh, so for, well, for over 15 years, I mean, for over 14 years, we didn't have any women in parliament either. And uh, civil society was silent. So when AWARE came into the scene, it was the first one that was challenging public policies. Right. So it was seen as being um, edgy. Yeah. Mm. But we have worked, AWARE has worked for about 35 years. And for 35 years, we worked very hard. If we haven't done anything, achieved anything for women, then we might as well close shop. <laughs> right? <laughs> so in order to achieve something, to do, you need to do, you, you have different, uh, you have to address different audiences, the public to change attitude, so when you, uh, you change attitude of the public, that's what persuades the government to change, you know? And uh, so it was, I mean, it took us 15 right. years. So for... the mechanism is convincing the public, not convincing yes. the... Right, right, right. So it's not convincing yeah. the government directly. So no. It, ah, okay, okay. The people's attitude had to change towards domestic violence. 
right before so then the government will react we are, we, are, right. we are now seeing the result of all that work right some of right. the result you know and um, so can you work independently of the state look singapore state owns 90% of properties and land and where is the independent space that civil society can have access to i mean i just discovered with the launch of my book you know right, so right. that's that's right. a huge problem lack of independent space is huge right. and um, i don't think it does the government any good to monitor and manage and control everything because you really need creative individuals um to make the singapore that we know could be done you know right um and so uh, there are in, there are instances when uh, when uh, civil society uh, communities work together independent of the state because you know to build community and to get to know each other to understand policies to understand better they do work together and they don't need the state to intervene there or they don't need the state we are trying to learn ourselves but most of the time when you need to change or address public policies then you have to work with the state it's the state which refuses very often to work with civil society Do you do you think that's changing? Uh, because I see that there's been some overtures from uh, state leaders to aware, for instance, right? <clears throat> But aware uh, in had the past worked. few years at Look, least. Look, aware earned that. Aware earned right. that. Yeah. Right, right. But there are lots right. of other that areas that had to be earned, right? Yeah. Right. And, uh, <laughs> Not every organization <laughs> is aware. <laughs> no, but there are other yeah. organizations which are doing pretty good work, like. Right. Well, uh, you know, the um, foreign labor is one issue that needs constant attention, and we Which saw how. Which you reference in the book as well, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Um, so they're doing very good work, but uh, I don't think uh, the ministries actually listen to them. If they have listened to, to them, in fact, the the huge problem that uh, that. everybody had to confront including the government when the pandemic started you yeah. know how it affected foreign workers and um, yeah people on the ground the government should know that people on the ground know what is happening on the ground right. you know yeah yeah so because they are in touch with people human beings and the lives of human beings you know Right. We're not. Yeah, it's nothing to do yeah. with somebody sitting in the office and and writing policies. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, mm. I I agree with you. The 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 PAP would say, oh, we have our our MPs like go on the ground a lot, like you no, know, uh, and the government. And it's true, they do go on the ground a lot. They But do. They work very the hard. Yes. Is, right? Yeah, they do. Uh, the blind spot is, I guess, you know, Singaporeans are very polite, right? When they see our MPs, right, they will not really like confront and question. But the moment the yeah. door is closed, right, and I've witnessed this 
personally as well. <laughs> like people, you know, they are criticizing the MP. The MP comes, they are so polite. The MP leaves and they are, they are back to criticizing. So the MP leaves saying, hmm, that's a positive person. That's one vote that I'm getting. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, I, I do agree. I think sometimes you just wonder like the... Is this policy, I mean, it's really, it seems like really out of touch and where... Yeah. Yeah. You know, when yeah. we talk about government and civil society, the interaction, there's always tension. That's the world over, you know. But in other democracies, after four years, you can throw them out and you'll get a new, <laughs> new lot coming, which might be more supportive of your work. But we've right. had 50, 50 odd years of the same government, you see. And um, so it's become more difficult. And um, yeah, no, if I say anything more, I yeah. might say something. <laughs> <laughs> you might get me cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, no, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, your thoughts on civil society. You are the guru right on on uh, civil society i don't think uh, anyone else uh, uh, anyone well, else can we, give the insight we, we, that, i mean it's yeah. here it, the mother I mean, uh, of civil society <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so yeah, yeah so let's let's move on to uh, to something maybe uh, that we have uh, maybe maybe there's some disagreement i don't know uh, so the, the idea of race, right? Because you're very critical in your book, uh, even in your, uh, in your life, in your, uh, sorry, in your book launch and in your podcast with uh, PJ, you're very critical of the government's approach to race. Uh, and ultimately you say uh, race is a so social construct. So basically we should be de deconstructing this, right? So, uh, and you are in favor of removing the CMIO, right? So, uh, and... I, I definitely see your, your point of view. Uh, but, you know, nobody ever needed to see my IC, right? To, to think that I'm Indian <laughs> and to make, fun, to make fun of my dark skin, my curly hair, hair all over my body, right? <laughs> nobody needed to look at my IC, right? To, to make fun of me for all of that, right? And also, I, I found out you are also from... Our ancestors came from the same place. My, my mom's side is also Malayali. Uh, so, okay. Uh, would it, yeah, would it really be different if we didn't have the CMIO model? Wouldn't people still be able? I mean, in India, there's no, there's no CMIO model, right? But even Indonesia, uh, I mean, the different no, Indonesia groups, like, or right. Thailand, we are the only right, country, but I the, think. Yeah, yeah. Right, but but there's still racism and there's still racial oh, there differentiation is. even yes, without there that. Is. Right? So would. So would, would, there is, would removing there is. the CMIO model... Yeah. It divides people, I think, by institutionalizing. Yes, one of the things that uh, strikes me, I mean, when I go to Australia, because most of my family now live in Australia, and the children growing up there, they don't think of the... They're very proud of the fact that they're half this and half that, and they're proud of the culture, and their heritage, but they call themselves Australian, mm. you know? And, um, and we still can't call ourselves Singaporean. We are either Singaporean Indian, Singaporean Chinese, Singaporean Malay, you know? And, 
and how do we then create a Singapore identity when the racial differences are institutionalized? And it, it's not just having it in your IC, you know, when it affects HDV, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. housing, GRC, you know, yeah. GRC, and uh, housing affects the minorities more than the majority because they can't they can only sell to another minority and because of that they earn much less from their properties you know those kind of little little things that parents people are racist but the government should not reinforce that mm. by by reinforcing that race divisions, you know, and um, I think it's irresponsible to tell you the truth. It's irresponsible to do that. We're all citizens of the same country. You have nothing to say? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, so... No, no, no. I'm just, no I, 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 I agree with you, as in I, I agree with you that that there's a difference between the government institutionalizing it and society uh, yeah. doing it right. Uh, the where where what the government would say is, oh, what if there is racism and institutional uh, safeguards are not there, right? Like the GRC is an institu institutional safeguard to ensure Malays and Indians are represented. And if Singaporeans are racist, but the government is not, then that's why we need the GRC, right? To guarantee that. So it's an institutional you know safeguard that again, again, if racism. you have looked through the history of um, uh, election, election and people who are elected, you see that race doesn't matter. Mm. You know, if you look at uh, even in the last election, Morally won against a Chinese man in a Chinese constituency. Yeah. yeah? And um, Jairatnam, JB Jairatnam, all yeah. those years ago won yeah. well, in a see. Chinese constituency. Marshall was our first premier, and he was the minority of minorities. Mm. So, really, who is thinking of all these issues? Right. The institutionalized institutions, you right. know, reinforces these ideas. I mean, look at look around us in other countries. You know, um, minorities are getting into power. Minorities are getting into positions of influence. Nobody says because you're Malay or Indian you can't be prime minister. <laughs> you know, that only happens in Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So so yeah, yeah yeah definitely I mean that statement definitely was problematic right and and even if it was true if it was a generic Indian versus a generic Chinese maybe a generic Chinese would win right but this is SM Taman right he would win <laughs> he would win anybody right? yeah. so yeah so, so definitely I mean we are on the same page there for sure yeah so. Uh, so yeah, I I I I do see uh, your point of view, but I guess the government would say that uh, this is to correct for human failure, and and you are right, you know. So even in Aljunied, there were there were three minorities that were 
Yeah, that yeah. were uh, elected, right? Yeah. So, so definitely, I mean, that's something that I've been thinking about as well. The GRCs, and my my answer was to, at the moment at least, just reduce it to two people. You don't need more than two persons if you really want the GRC. Just have two person GRCs, and the rest could be. But it's so SM- it's also sometimes it's quite comical. I don't want to name names, but then <laughs> no, it's okay. GRC- name them. Name names. <laughs> GRCs. Okay, as long as you're brown skinned, you represent the Indian. Even though oh, that person, yeah, you are right. Yeah. <laughs> don't have any association with Indians. Yes, no Indian any language. <laughs> Indian culture, nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's it's laughable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Doesn't speak any Indian languages. No grassroots experience in the Indian. No. <laughs> Suddenly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely, that's that's a true. And also the the Indian. Now you know I why guess... we are cynical about this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the the Indian community is the most. Uh, I would say among the three, the most peculiar, because you know nobody in India identifies their race as Indian, right? <laughs> yeah. so because they would be they are divided along north south lines, along state lines, but yeah, linguistically, yeah, yeah. linguistically especially, and there is increasingly a fracture right uh, within mm. the Indian Singaporean Indian identity, which is generally you know Tamil Tamil Hindu, right? No, no, yeah, I mean. Uh, and yeah. the politicians were smart. They left the Indians alone because the Indians will fight among themselves. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you have the Malayalis, you have the Tamils. Yeah. Only, only Indians can say this, by the way. The <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. Like even even for me, I'm Indian Muslim, right? So my identity yeah. is really very. Very confused, yeah. very mixed, right? In, in yeah, this, yeah. Because it's not yeah. the traditional Indian in the Singapore. Precisely. I just wrote an essay for an aware book, which is writing a book about growing up Indian. Precisely, there is no one Indian definition of yeah, being yeah. Indian, you know? Right, right, yeah. right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. That, that was a fun discussion. And you know, so one of the things that people have this uh, image of feminists, especially modern modern day feminists right people have this image of you know uh always uh unfair image in many ways right always want to cancel people and uh very <laughs> one wants to take the humor out of but you see you you are an extremely humorous person even even in your stories they are humorous even you you mentioned about how you you really uh, thought Lee Kuan Yew was a very good looking young man <laughs> <laughs> you did mention that Yes, <laughs> which he was right, which he was, and he had the height. Well, he yes, had the very charismatic. Yes, yes. Very, extremely, extremely mm-hmm. charismatic. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, so there are a couple of questions here, right? So I think we can take them together. So, what is the greatest challenge that Singaporean civil society will face? This is from Arun, and I saw one from Fadila. How does a good, uh, what does meaningful engagement between civil society and government look look like to you? The I think one is the introduction of truly honest civic education in schools. So children grow up understanding the state's role, civil society's role, et cetera, et cetera. So that education is very important. Two, there must be independent spaces. Three, NAC have to decide 
I know governments all over the world will say you are biting the hand that feeds you. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but NACs, what is their objective in, in being there? Isn't, isn't it to promote creativity, promote arts in, in Singapore, arts activity in Singapore? How do you do that? How do you do that? And also this, this um, we do need independent spaces. I don't mm. know how we can. We can't afford it. Singapore is so expensive. So civil society itself cannot afford it. Right. The government controls all, manages all resources, you know. So it's very difficult for, for civil society. But one of the things I have noticed, and I do write in my updated version, is that in spite of it, we are having educated young people who are interested in issues. They come to me and ask me, how do we, what do we do? Right. And that's also how do we, how do we become active? How do we form organizations, you know? And uh, again, it's a lack of civic education in schools that you have young people coming up and not knowing. And this is happening in spite of POFA and FICA and all that, okay? Uh, because you can still, the only, the thing about being an activist now is the uncertainty and uh, knowing that it all depends on one person at the top somewhere in the cabinet <laughs> who can make a decision about you, the individual right. or you, what you're saying, you know, what right. you're doing. And right. uh, so th that, that's a huge problem. And I don't know how we can resolve that. Right, right. Really and in, in, yeah. in some cases, you don't even need a cabinet member, right? So a lot of times you yeah, always have this overzealous, yeah. Yeah, yeah, overzealous mm. civil servant. Well, this, so is, I, this is what I suspect happened in the art right. house. Exactly. I, I don't yeah. think that the, the cabinet would be... No. Uh, yeah, would, would, yeah, yeah, I don't think they would be that daft to do that. I mean, they are, <laughs> they are much smarter than that. I really, I really genuinely mean that. So I really think that it's... It was a silly decision by some administrator <laughs> eager mm. to please, right? But then, that's right. Mm. But then, how you started this this conversation? Because you said there's the political culture. Then you rightly or wrongly anticipate what's gonna be the thing that is gonna appease uh, the the people, right? So how do you change that political culture? Then that seems like a big problem. It's not like <laughs> that is a huge that? problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but at least, okay, at least give, give me some hope. Do you see it changing in the past? Do you I, see it having changed in the past 30 years at least? It used to be worse, right? Yes. I'm sure. yeah. Uh, yeah, but young people are saying it's quite bad now. That's true too. But it was very bad then because it was also just after, I mean, the um, Marxist conspiracy, what is it called? Spectrum, isn't it? Spectrum, um, yeah, Operation Spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Operation Spectrum. Um, did did um, limit and uh, subdue activism? You know, people were scared. People were lived in fear. And uh, I tell you, I tell you a story. Do you have a time to listen to? Oh a story? no, I, I I have many. A lot of time to listen to your stories too. Okay, okay. <laughs> five years ago, five years ago, 
I had set up a committee to award, which was called the National Singapore uh, Advocacy Award. And this was the final meeting. And we all meet in my house. You know, we don't have independent spaces, right? So people's homes <laughs> become meeting places. So we meet here. That was the final meeting. And I was about, it was in October, so I was about to turn 80. And it was full house. Everybody turned up for the meeting. And towards the end of the meeting, there was a loud bang on the door. Oh. Really loud bang on the door. I sat paralyzed and petrified. And they all looked at me and said, Constance, go and open the door, go and open the door. I said, I'm not going to open the door. <laughs> but they all knew. I was the only one who didn't know that there was a group, about 15 of them were outside surprising oh. me with a birthday party. Oh. And I was petrified. Right. After right. 30 years, that right. fear is there somewhere in your subconscious. And... Um, and they were, they were, they said, you know, look at you, you were petrified of my face. I couldn't move. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can't dismiss that kind of uh, culture. And yet I was not directly involved. People around me were being arrested. Colleagues were being arrested. We all knew something was happening. We lived in fear for two weeks because we didn't know what was happening. And that fear, you know, doesn't go away. Wow. The knock on the door is what we all talked about then. The two o'clock in the morning, the police come and knock on your door mm. and get you up. Mm. You know? And, now I don't uh, know whether I can sleep tonight after this story. <laughs> <laughs> We talk about it and we laugh about it. <laughs> but the fact is that it was in instinctive. Right. Yeah. You right. Know? Like it's conditioned. Yeah. That, that was how it's you... It's condition. Mm. Yeah, you, you started the, uh, the book launch uh, by saying that even you were not too affected by the initial cancellation, right? You said you had sort of normalized it in your mind yeah. already, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. the... Yeah, that's that's really scary, that's right? Like we, when we, scary, yeah, 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 that's sad. That's sad more than scary, but it's scary also, right? Where we normalize mm -hmm. something like we, oh yeah, yeah this is yeah, <laughs> it's supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Humor is our coping mechanism, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there, there. I'll just take uh, one, one more. It's almost one hour already. Thank you so much. I'll just take uh, one or two questions. So, okay. So this one, let's end off on this because most of the viewers are younger, younger folks. So, what advice do you have for Singaporean youths who want to advocate for change? I'm often asked by young people that question: What can we do? And I always say, I mean, everything that we have done, every, all the organizations that have been, I've been involved in, starts with a conversation around the table. Sometimes that conversation is triggered by something that has happened, made abuse, for instance, or public policy. But you always start with a conversation, and the conversation leads you to crystallize 
ideas and um, better get informed. And there's nothing wrong. You're not breaking any law by having conversations around a table, you know, but you are empowering yourself to be better informed and better educated as a citizen. And a citizen, you can't sit and complain about what's happening around you. You have to do something about it. Write a letter to the MP, for instance, you know, when you find something that you're unhappy about. So, and once you start that way, you will build up into a coherent community of activists who want the same thing, who have the whole the same. One of the nicest things about being a civil society activist, being a member of a civil society organization, and I wasn't just involved with the way, I was involved with the wider community of civil society activists is that you suspend race. You, there's no ageism, there's no racism, there's no classism. Mm. You're just the individual focusing on a value or a, a passion. Right. You have a cause. You don't right. focus on anything else. That cause mm. is what drives you. And I think that's very empowering. And that's where I truly felt mm. like a Singaporean, that I am a Singaporean. I belong. Right. So, do do activists need that community to feel that oh, sense yes. of empowerment? Yes. So you yes, you cannot you do. do this alone, right? You cannot do. There are activities like writing to the MP. You can do by yourself. But if you want to achieve something greater than that, um, yeah, would be a good idea to have uh, a community. But community is right. essential. I mean, I tell young people who come and ask me, raise these questions. I said, you need to nurture a community because we have lots of single people, you know, going to grow old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alone. Yeah, so yeah. you have to start now nurturing a community, you know, who will be your friends and your supporters through life's journey to when you're 86 or 90 or 91, whatever age, you know. Right. But you need that. Without that support, without that community, you're alone in this world. And right. I couldn't have, I couldn't be who I am or what I am without that support of friends. Thank you so much. That, that is really uh, humbling and inspiring. At the same time, so there's, there's actually a, a question by a young activist, uh, Noor from Lepak Conversation. So sorry, I said that was the last one, but I felt I had to ask her uh, ask her question. How do activist groups toe that line of speaking up against policies that are not fair, but at the same time maintain a good enough relationship with the government? So because sometimes there's also a tendency to just bang your head against the wall and then you're not going to get hurt, right? So how do you, how do you of balance? Of course, there, there, is, there is that... Um different points of view, even among activists, that uh, there are young activists who feel that you have to be loud and you have to shout. I mean, when we started, people were saying we were shouting, you know, and uh, <laughs> 32 years, what we said seemed like because we had come out of the blue and there had not been any civil society activism. Suddenly there is this group of women, who are they, you know, 
And right. why are they so rude? Why are they so rude? <laughs> why are they so loud? You don't have to be. <laughs> so nothing's changed essentially, right? So that's, <laughs> people still say but that, right? So, yeah. People still say that. But really, I mean, there are things you can do. Um, you can change the, if you, if, if you're persistent enough, you can change, you know, some, some areas are easier than other areas, especially since we are such a capitalist society and uh, labor, labor is often mistreated and abused. Um, those are issues which are hard to confront because our state, our government looks at the bottom dollar. Everything has to have profit. Everything is profit driven. We have lost our sense of humanity, you know, and um, which is what, which is what civil society, the work of civil society is. To remind people that we're all human the worker who is cleaning your street is as human as you are, you know? And we had to remind ourselves of that. And they have a family to feed, just as you have a family to feed. And they're here to work. Um, and work and labor is very essential for human dignity. So... Yeah, I, mm. I have lost track of your question. No, no, it's okay. No, I, I think, <laughs> I think that that is really a nice way to to end things off. You know, so on that socialist note, right? <laughs> 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 I think it's really. I think it's so, it's so rare. I think especially nowadays because I think the nature of social media it doesn't. It doesn't uh, encourage this kind of thing, right? So even when people that we disagree with. Uh, of, often we, we we may not realize, but we think of them as lesser, or we dehumanize them. But I think to recognize the humanity in everyone, right? And then that's a good starting point for conversations, right? And and I love the fact that you say don't don't belittle the idea of conversations, right? Every every change starts from conversations because people always ask, I don't want to talk about it. What can I do, right? I want to yeah. do and change now. But, <laughs> that's a Singapore thing, do, you see. Yeah, very Singapore. Very Singapore. <laughs> but to do, to do something, it takes 20 years of conversation or something. Right? <laughs> but they don't want to do the, the conversation. No, part, no. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you yeah. so much. Uh, thank you, uh, Wally, Connie. for having I, me. No, I... I feel weird even calling you by name, right? Because you're such a legend, Why? and I think no. I, <laughs> I think history will judge you really well. History will really Thank judge you. you really well, and I I pray for a very long life for you, and and that you oh, can continue no, using your I'm voice. Not quite sure about that. <laughs> no, really, really. I hope you are you continue to be healthy and uh, to be as sharp as you are, because there's there's a lot of wisdom that I think the rest of us have not fully extracted from you. Uh, and everyone, think, please get this. I think this. a lot yeah, of yeah, the times it's because we haven't got time to think and be reflective. Right. We need to give ourselves that time, and which is why conversations are important. You know, getting right. together as a group and having conversation make us re re more reflective. Right. 
thank you so much thank even you. professor yakub well, ibrahim said i was looking said, forward thank you <laughs> <laughs> i was looking forward to meeting you and having this conversation with right, you no, thank I you for inviting me the pleasure thank was you. all mine please get this book everyone okay good night everyone <laughs> yes, bye bye yes bye bye